Good morning, everybody. Good morning. Have, have a seat, everyone. Now you can sit down. <laughs> All right. Thank, thanks for that uh, communion, Dave. My eyes are nice and clear now. I can see clearly. Well lubricated. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, Holy Spirit, I lay this sermon before you, Lord. I ask that you, Holy Spirit, will come upon all of us here. Come upon me and help me to say the right things, Lord. May everything that comes out of my mouth be to your glory, for your glory and for the building up and the strengthening and the empowering of your people. And uh, help me to say it right by the Spirit, Lord. So I, I completely commit what is happening right now. I commit this, this room to you. I commit every single person here to you, Lord Jesus. We're your people and we're here to be fed. And uh, please feed us today. Lord, um, I totally depend on you. And I, I just ask that all of us here would, uh, if there's stuff inside of us right now, things that we've done that has offended you this week, please reveal it to us. And please help us humbly come before you and repent of the things that we've said and done and thought through this week, the things we've looked at, the things we've listened to. God, we repent. Help us to be a clean people so that you will, uh, that we would rest in your favor. We pray this in your wonderful name. Amen. All right, just turn in your Bibles to Revelation 1.9. I was really hoping that I could get through verses 1.9 to 11 today, but as I started into 1.9, I realized I could actually stay in, in verse 1.9 uh, well, uh, for many weeks but I'm not going to <laughs> to spare you the pain of having to sit on the one verse for weeks I've already done that before three weeks on one verse a few verses ago but we're going to get into one nine and I've titled this sermon companions in the last days we are companions we are going through this this time together John considered himself a companion in the in the tribulation that they were going through at that time. And uh, we have to consider ourselves companions in this. Because if you think about it, wouldn't it be terrible to go through terrible times and you haven't got anyone to be there with you and assist you in that time? It would be a very scary thing to go through like a, a time like that. It would be a very lonely uh, thing, for, especially for Christians. So we have to consider ourselves companions, and that's what this verse is sort of bringing out. So Revelation 1.9, and it says this, I, John, your brother and companion in the suffering. This is The NIV says the suffering, and other translations do too, but uh, the King James says tribulation, and it's probably a more correct uh, translation of, of that word, that Greek word. However, it does mean suffering also. Um, it has a number of applications, number of English words that will be suitable for it, and we'll talk about that in a minute. But I, your, I, John, your brother and companion in the tribulation and kingdom and patient endurance that are ours in Jesus was on the island of Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. He was on the isle or the island of Patmos. Okay. So... Just a quick breakdown of that. What he's saying here, I, John, your brother and companion 
And I could have even talked about the word brother. I didn't. <laughs> but I think we, we got a pretty good understanding. But at, at every time I look into the Greek, suddenly I realize, wow, there's a lot more to it than I realized. But he's a brother and companion in tribulation. He's a brother and companion in the kingdom. We're going to discuss what that is. And a brother and companion in patient endurance. We have to have patient endurance in these days. He was also exiled to Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. So we're going to quickly look at those four points. The word tribulation or suffering comes from the Greek word philipsis. And it means, it means pressure. It means pressure, what constricts, if you're constricted or rubbing together, something that rubs together like this. That's under tribulation, it's under philipsis. Uh, used of a narrow place. Who's, been, who's, who's tried to get through a really thin place, you know, and you have to suck everything in to get through? Who's been through that? And you've probably seen on the internet people that get stuck in those positions, you know, they try to get through really narrow places and they get stuck with their head in there or something like that. You know, that's, that's tribulation. You feel like it, actually, when you're going through it, that you're going through a mild point of, you know, even have to suffer because you might have to really squeeze something. It might hurt to go through it. Use of a narrow place that hems someone in. You think of uh, King David and a battle, and he's hemmed in all around. You know, soldiers on every side, and they're circling him, and they're coming in. He's hemmed in. He's in a situation, a, a tribulation, a philipsis. And he's got to call out to God, God, only you can get me out of this because I and my strength cannot break free from this. And as we know, when you read the stories of King David and other uh, great men of God of the past, God would deliver them. And it was like, it was like God waited for that point before he acted <laughs> because it, had to be a, it couldn't be a point where he could fight his own way out and then give glory to God. It had to be a point where God had to fight for him. And that's what tribulation is all about. And that's why God's going to bring this tribulation. It's going to be twofold. One is it's going to be a, a judgment against the wickedness on this earth. But it's also going to be to cause the believer to have a faith and to live by that faith like they have never had to before because of the pressure that they'd be under because they're going to be hemmed in on every side. Amen. If someone is hemmed in, they're in tribulation, especially internal pressure. You could be under tribulation inside, like in your spirit, in your person, mentally. You could be hemmed in. That causes someone to feel confined, restricted, and without options. Who's been there? Who's, who's lived a bit of life and they've been in situations where you feel like there's, there's, there's no options here? You know, I'm stuffed. <laughs> and then, you know, a year later, you kind of remember what happened. <laughs> But you, you know that feeling? Restricted without options. It carries the challenge of coping with internal pressure of a tribulation. So it's the challenge of coping with it. It's the challenge of seeking God so that God can deliver you. It's for our faith. It's for our strengthening. It's for our blessing. And this is why the disciples would rejoice in their sufferings. You know, it's a mindset that the world doesn't comprehend at all. They could rejoice in it. Why? Because their faith was tested. They were strengthened in their faith. They walked out after getting whipped stronger Christians than before they got it. The whipping was supposed to weaken them, but they'd walk out strengthened. 
It's crazy. It's crazy. But isn't that just God anyway? You know, like I know I've been studying a little bit to do with weight training. When you weight train, you break the muscle down, you destroy the muscle. The fiber gets destroyed. But it's the only way for it to grow and get stronger. It has to be broken first. Then it mends itself and then it's a stronger muscle after that. So it carries the challenge of coping with internal pressure of a tribulation, especially when feeling there is no way of escape, when you just feel there's no way out. That's when God acts best. That's when he's at his optimum. That's when God says, watch this, guys. You want to see a miracle? Now you're going to get one. You know, I reckon a lot of what happened to Jesus, if you can imagine the pressure of that three-and-a-half-year um, time of his ministry, he was under pressure Left, right, and center, everywhere he went, they would come upon him like wolves. They were always around him, and that made him preach the best messages. The pressure of what he went through caused him to say the things he said. So we can be thankful that he went through such tribulation while he lived, and we just saw a, a, a depiction of what he went through for us on the cross so that we could be saved. Who was impacted by that visual? Yeah? I've, we've all seen it before more than likely. But I watched it yesterday and it just broke me down. And just then it just broke me down. It's like, wow, that's tribulation. How horrific must hell be that God would do that to his son so that we don't have to go there. The, the punishment had to fit the crime. The sin that we committed, that was, that was the punishment that fit our crime. But he took it. There's a story of a general in an army. or Sorry, not, not a general, uh, like a president of a country. There's, I can't remember who it is and I can find it if you're ever interested. And he, he passed a, a law. And that if anyone broke this law, that person would get 30 of the best, 30 lashes. Anyway, it so happened, according to this story, that his mother was the very first person to break the law. And here he is, the son of his mother, and he had to pass a judgment. And if he, if he didn't say to his mother, you get on the rack now, you're getting whipped, then his, his government would be a farce. He would be a farce. The people would think, you know, how can we... this? This president is nothing, or this king, whatever he was. Anyway, you know what he, said, what he did? He said, I will take the punishment for her. And he went and he took the whip. So, so the law, it had to be fulfilled. It had to be done. He had to receive the beating, or someone had to receive the beating. But he took it on his own body so that his mother didn't have to take it. And that's exactly why Jesus had to be there. Jesus had to get on that cross because someone had to take the punishment. Or else God's laws are farce. Isn't it? His eternal law is a farce if someone didn't go to the cross. So you, when you look at that, that's, that's you guys. That's you up there. He took it for you. So you didn't have to go up there. Doesn't mean we don't have to go through tribulation in this life, though. It just means that our eternal condemnation has he's accounted for it in the in the man Jesus Christ. So let's turn to Revelation one nine again, or 
Revelation 1, 9. And it said, I, John, your brother and companion in the suffering or in, companion in the tribulation. Now I'll turn back to Romans. Romans 8, 35. Make sure everyone follows along with me because I want you to see the scriptures as we read them. It's really important. It impacts you more. 8.35, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Now, I just want to uh, point out quickly before we start reading this verse. This verse has been so misunderstood. There's a whole range of things that certain doctrinal uh, teachers today will pull from this to suit their views. But you've got to read it in context. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble, which comes under the word, philipsis, tribulation. Shall tribulation separate us? Shut up. Answer the question. No way. Are we to let tribulation separate us from Christ? Are we to let hardship? You know, I think it was Hal Lindsey. He said, I'll double check that before I put that on, online. He said, if the rapture is not pre-trib, then we should not call this hope a blessed hope, but a blasted hope. And now you've got these pre-trib believers saying worldwide that if we have to go through a tribulation, then this is a blasted hope. That's the reason I stand against the pre-trib view. Because it, it clearly tells us that tribulation is our lot in life. Right? And if, if we are to go through tribulation and therefore curse God, what is that? What is that teaching? What is that doctrine? It's shallow. It's got no depth. It's got no understanding. It hasn't compared Scripture with Scripture. It's coming from an ideology. It's coming from a comfort Western mindset that no, no trouble should come upon me because I am the blessed. I am the fortunate. I'm not unfortunate like some countries where they're suffering tribulation. I'm going I'm to skip the whole lot. I'm going to mess it all. The early disciples longed for tribulation and suffering because they wanted to receive a greater inheritance in the kingdom. And we're going to read about this. They longed for it because they wanted to honor God by standing firm in the face of all their enemies and look at them and say, I'm going to go through this because Jesus Christ is true and I want you to see the faith that I have to be able to stand in this trial. And people would turn to Jesus by watching them, the way they lived out their faith. It's amazing. It's amazing. It's the early church, to many respects, would be shamed by knowing just how some people approach their Christianity today. They'll be thinking, that's not the Christianity we believed in. And I'm going to show you just from the Bible, without going any other references, what the Bible says about all these things. But we'll read the scripture first. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No way. They weren't scared. Paul wasn't scared of those things. As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. Who, are we facing death all day long? We aren't. Well, in the sense that oh, death, is, death is 
you know, as near as a car crash sort of thing. But outside of that, we're not getting hunted, are we? No one's hunting you because you're a Christian. These guys were living a faith where they were being hunted daily. Paul was hunted. Who knew? Who knows about that? Who's read the, through the book of Acts enough to know that Paul was a hunted man? Actually, there was a, a group of them, they swore an oath that they won't eat until Paul is, was killed. And of course, they didn't kill him, so I wonder if they didn't eat. Never heard the end of that story. <laughs> yeah, so who shall separate us from the love of Christ? No, we'll go down a bit further, uh, down to 37. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Why? Because he's set his heart like flint. He set his heart, that's it. And God, of course, has set his heart, that's it. So they're bonded, they're united in their common agreement. Do you sort of see what I'm saying? We'll, we'll keep on going, it'll make more sense soon. Romans 12, 12. Be joyful in hope and patient in affliction or philipsis, patient in tribulation. Be joyful in hope, patient in tribulation, faithful in prayer. We are to be patient in, the, in times of tribulation. If God calls, just say he, he, he brings, allows the tribulation to begin in our days, all I can say is be patient. Be patient. There's some more verses. that I don't want to spoil the surprise of the verses. You probably know them anyway. But um, that we are called to patient endurance during these times. We don't know uh, how long we're going to endure into them, whether he's going to protect us or not. We just have to be patient and know God is sovereign in all things. And no matter what, whether life or death, famine, nakedness, sword, whatever, patient endurance on our part. Amen. Romans 5, 3 to 5. I found all the scriptures I needed in Romans. And it says, Not only so, but we also rejoice in our philipsis, in our tribulation. We also rejoice in our sufferings. It's a strange concept, isn't it? I, when I read in, in the book of Acts that, I think it was Peter and John, should double check that, they, went, they got whipped. And they came out rejoicing that they'd been found worthy. <laughs> That's their mindset. I was worthy. Thank you, God, that you allowed me to get 40 lashes minus one. My back is ripped open. My organs are partly hanging out. But thank you that you found me worthy to go through that. You saw what happened to Jesus. They saw that as an honor. Who, where do you go to hear this today? What churches teach this today? It's not a tickling ear message. Most people don't want to hear it. Like, you know, most people will flee churches to preach like this. So, guys, I'm proud of you. <laughs> if you can handle me, you could probably handle the tribulation. Because <laughs> I'm going to put you through the tribulation <laughs> in the word. Wow. Sorry? 
<laughs> That's yeah, inner tribulation here. <laughs> External tribulation once we get out of here. Wow. So not only so, but we also rejoice in our tribulation. We rejoice in it because we know that tribulation or suffering, what does it do? This is what it does. It produces perseverance. And perseverance produces character. And character, hope. Who would know that if a man from the Middle East walked in now and that man is a bold, passionate Christian and you know that man has been beaten three times with rods, he's had his back torn open with whips, they've, they've hunted him down, they've thrown stones at him, they've broken him, they've broken his legs, they've done everything terrible to that man, but that man is still a passionate bold Christian, if he walked in here, would it be nearly awe-inspiring to see him? Why? Because it produces character. That's the type of Christian that God wants of his people. That's the kind of bride he wants. He wants these passionate, bold, strong, not flimsy, strong, bold, confident Christians. Can't be shaken no matter what they're confronted with. That's what Jesus wants. Not these, you know, oh, God's going to bless me today, Christians. Who knows God blesses you? But, you know, what, what's, what's amazing about it is, is the mindset. The, these guys back in the, in the day, their blessings were to receive the beatings. That's what they counted as blessings. That's what they counted as honour. You know, I'm, I'm challenging you because you need to challenge yourself with this because we don't know when we may have to, be, have to go through something. Who reads the, you know, listens to these alternate medias and listens to the way the world is going? You don't even have to listen to alternate media. Just go on the normal news. <laughs> You'll see it there. The world is, is going mad. It's going mad. It's going chaotic. And, and you're seeing things happening all over the world and ISIS is rising at the moment and all this sort of stuff. We know that tribulation is coming. It's coming upon our brothers and sisters right now. So we better get our hearts right. Because you know what happens in some of these countries? One day it's all beautiful. Everything's like, like it is here. Peaceful. Everyone can walk outside. It's fine. The next day there's an army in there shooting people down, chopping people up. One day, changed. Nothing is the same. They're looking out, out down the street and everything's burning and you know, people running and screams and gunshots going off. And it's like, it changed like that. You know, World War II in England just, just changed. My grandparents would, would tell me stories about it. You know, they're just bombs falling from the sky and they don't know where they're going to land and they just run down into basements and stuff and they, they hear the, the house next door to them blow up. You know, it just changes just like that. So all I'm saying is, and I'm going to try not to always preach these sort of messages, <laughs> but all I'm saying is get your heart right now. Already settle it. Have it settled because we are companions in this. And if I didn't teach this, you know, you've got to discover it all for yourself. And I'm sure many of you have anyway. But, you know, 
we've got to be companions in this. I've got to teach it. You guys have got to teach it to each other. You've got to teach it to your Christian friends. Make sure. Have you already settled this in your heart? Because I don't think they, and many Christians in the West have. The reason I say that is because the Bible tells us there's going to be a massive falling away. A massive falling away of believers in before, or as, sorry, as the Antichrist is revealed. And my uh, challenge to that in response to that was God told me that I must prepare believers for end time scenarios. Prepare people, uh, the believers, the Christians, to go through tough times. Don't teach an ear-tickling message. Teach the, the bold truth, the uncompromising truth, because God wants a first century church. He wants a church like it was at first. Amen? So I've got to be obedient to my call. If I'm not obedient to that, I'm going to be held in, accountable to that, and judgment will come upon me harder than on you. Who's receiving it today? Yeah? That's good. Did I finish that scripture? And hope does not disappoint us because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he has given us. John 16.33. I was either going to teach this message today or I was going to teach a message on hell. So you got the better of the two, I think. <laughs> How to face hell on earth. <laughs> Sorry? Next week. Maybe. Maybe I'll pray about it. <laughs> two weeks in a row, this sort of stuff might be a bit hard. Uh, John 16.33. And I've told you uh, these things... So that in me you may have peace. In this world, this is a comfort message from Jesus. In this world you will have trouble or tribulation, philipsis. In this world you will have, Jesus states it firmly, you will have tribulation. Who knows that, that, that throughout history so many Christians have gone through major tribulation and it very well could have been the great tribulation to them. It, in their minds, they were, in their minds, mo I could guarantee you, most Christians going through it would be thinking, this is the great tribulation. I'm in it right now. Don't you reckon? If, if everything went to ruin here in Adelaide and the next thing you know we're getting rounded up and we're getting, you know, our heads are getting chopped off, would you think we're in the Great Tribulation? Would that be your first thought? <laughs> would you? I would. <laughs> and then you'd be really shocked when you get to heaven and say, oh, that wasn't it. <laughs> that was, it's got another hundred years before that. Oh, really? I was certain I was in it. How many times have Christians thought they've been in it? We're going to find out that John thought he was in it. He thought he was in the Tribulation. And there's some clear reasons why he would have thought that. Preterism teaches that it was back then, <laughs> which is a load of rubbish. Anyway, that's, that's my commentary on that. <laughs> there you go, convincing. <laughs> Did I convince you preterism is rubbish? Um, if you want to talk about preterism, I'll talk to you about it later. And, uh, but I, I'm going to do a sermon on it. I'm going to completely uncover the... the, the teaching of preterism and what's amazing about it is so many Christians believe it now put up your hand if you know what preterism is alright a few of you 
Preterism basically is that the whole book of Revelation has been fulfilled in 70 AD. Back then. And that's it. There's, it's not future. The book's been fulfilled and completed back in 70 AD. And it's, it's hard to believe. Really? People, most people go, really? Is that preterism? But it's surprising how many people believe it. Uh, and they're passionately believing it. And you can't convince them otherwise. It's sort of like talking to a Jehovah Witness trying to explain their faults and their views. They just don't see it. And it's a growing movement. And some of the big-name theologians, I think it's R.C. Sproul, believes it. You're thinking, wow, how does he believe that? He's a pretty switched-on guy, but he believes that. Have I finished that, John 16, 33? Yeah, but take heart over God's, or Jesus has overcome the world. 2 Corinthians 1, 3 to 5. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles or thalipsis, comforts us in all our tribulations, so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. For just as the sufferings of Christ flow over into our lives, so also through Christ our comfort overflows. Did you catch that? The sufferings of Christ flow over into our lives. What, what that's telling us is that we must expect it. The tribulations that come upon Jesus will come upon us. They'll flow over upon the body. The whole body will be affected. If we can go through our Christian life and be completely unaffected and completely unharmed by tribulation, then it's either one of two things, either a major, major, major blessing or it's you haven't preached the cross. <laughs> You've got to preach the cross because that's how Paul gauged whether he was, in fact, teaching the truth if he was preaching the cross, he was getting persecuted. So if you're not getting persecuted, you know, start preaching the cross, you will get persecuted. And when I say that is actually tell people about it. If you want to, and, and you should be seeking a bit of tribulation <laughs> in that. That word there, Vina tells me you pronounce it Vasili. That's Bill's Greek name. Vasilia. And it means kingship. So... Um, John said he's a companion in the kingdom. He's a companion with those of that time in the kingdom. Now, what is this in the kingdom? Because the kingdom hadn't come yet, had it? The kingdom hadn't come to earth because if it did, we would have Jesus here and, and the enemies of God would be vanquished and would be in the thousand-year millennium of peace. But the kingdom had not come. But... It had, by the Holy Spirit, in the lives of those living at that time. So that's why he said, I'm a companion. I'm a companion along with you, a brother in the kingdom. And it's kingship, sovereignty, authority. We have authority in Christ. We're here, if anything, not to rule each other and not to rule on this planet because that's, that's what the meaning of the word means. But we're here to rule our sin nature and control it by the power of God. We're to overcome. We become overcomers. We are to become a holy people, a royal priesthood. 
kings of God Most High by showing that we have at least the, the ability to, to control our own lives. Why try to control other lives when you've got a bigger job here in your own life? Who knows controlling the sin nature is a full-time job? Yeah? If more of us considered a full-time job, we'd probably overcome more. There'd be more overcomers in the kingdom. If we considered it, that's what we've got to do. We've got to be careful what we, what we get involved in every day. Sovereignty, authority, rule, especially of God, both in the world and in the hearts of men, hence the kingdom in the concrete sense, which is the actual kingdom that Jesus will send us. Now, who knows Luke 17, 21, and I'm sure you all do. We'll go there so you can read it. I could quote it from the top of my head, but I want you all to read it. If we go back, actually, to verse 20, and it says, Once having been asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, Jesus replied, The kingdom of God does not come visibly, nor will people say here it is or there it is, because the kingdom of God is within you. He was saying that for the benefit of those there at that time, the kingdom of God is in you. It's not going to come visibly in your time so that you can see it. It's for you to understand now it comes within you. The kingdom is released by the power of the Holy Spirit in you and become kings and priests of God most high. But he's, he's not referencing that the kingdom of God will not come visibly in the future because it does come visibly because we know from the book of Revelation our translation limits the, the meaning of that verse. So we think, oh no, so it never comes visibly. Well, what's this city of God that comes down? Well, he says it doesn't need a temple because he is the temple. God the Father is there, but the city of God comes down. The kingdom does come. But he's referencing it for those of us who, before that time when until Jesus returns... We must be devoted to Christ and understand that we are the kingdom of God. Now, this is not kingdom nowism. <laughs> if anyone knows about that, who knows about that? Yep, there's a growing movement in that. This is just making you understand we're not here to set up kingdom, right? That's, that's taken that too far. We're not here to set up kingdom. Does the Great Commission say you are to go and set up a kingdom on earth? Is that the Great Commission? Uh, you can easily, you know, defuse that kingdom now uh, mentality. It simply says make disciples, right? I'm not trying to set up a kingdom here. We're just trying to, we're just, you know, doing church, you know, preaching the gospel. But the kingdom is, is to come is, is in the form of, Jesus Christ returning with, and then a thousand years later, the first coming of the Father. Who knows about that? That the Father is going to come. Now, who knows you can't look upon the Father and live? Does it say that in the Bible? You can't look at his face and live. Is that right? Well, what about if you've got an imperishable body and you've been with Jesus for a thousand years? Could you look upon the Father and live? Yeah, because you can't perish. <laughs> it's imperishable. <laughs> It might blow you away for about a million years looking upon him, but it won't destroy you. He won't destroy you. So keep on going. We represent the kingdom. We do. We're his representatives. Let's turn to 2 Corinthians. If any of you are unsure about your ministry on this planet, just, just dwell in this passage for a few weeks or a few months and just read it every day. Get it into your heart. 
2 Corinthians 5, 17. And it says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. So this is how you know if someone's in Christ. They're new. They've been created new. What would be one of the signs of being a new creation? Anyone could tell me? Just a few signs that they're a new creation. What would it be? Change a lot, that would stop sending. That would be one of the most clearest, wouldn't it? That would be the, an evidence. Anything else? They'd be praying, wouldn't they? That'd be a sign. They'd be living a life of prayer. Reading the scriptures on a daily basis. They'd be going to church. They'd be talking to people. They'd be evangelizing. They'd be reaching out. Right? All things that would... And I'm glad I asked you that question because I wouldn't have thought of all those. Uh, so if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ. And what did he do? He gave us the ministry of reconciliation. And this is it, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore... I'll stop there for a second. He's committed to us the message of reconciliation. It's been committed to you. Every last one of you has had this thing, this, this ministry committed to you. You are now to reconcile men to God. That's your job. That's your ministry. It's not just mine. It's not just, you know, Matthews or Andy's or Dave's or Nick's or it's it's all of our jobs. We have to live by this and live in, and wake up in the morning and that's what I'm saying. Read this every day and dwell on it, sit on it and listen to it. Let it get into your heart. You have to reconcile men to God because when you get to judgment and just say so you get the judgment, you're saved. There's no trouble there. You're saved, but then God's going to have a few extra questions. You're in the kingdom, right? Your, your pants might be on fire, but you're in the kingdom. And then he's going to say, now, how did you go with my great commission? How did you go with my ministry of reconciliation that I gave you? What did you do with it? And you'll be racking your brains. Oh, wasn't it four months ago I spoke to someone? Over dinner, we had a quick word, and I just said, well, you should believe in Jesus. And he goes, he just laughed, and I went, yeah. <laughs> and he'll go, yeah, that's right. That happened four months ago. Yeah, and there was a time back again, I also spoke to someone, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah you did. But it, would, you, would you like to be in that situation? <laughs> Shamed before God? Or would you like to be standing there going, I talked to someone yesterday, I talked to someone the day before, I talked to someone the day before, and, you know, I won that person, and that person punched me in the mouth, but that's okay. And <laughs> you know what I mean? Wouldn't you love to have a string of things you could recollect to God? You know, that's the ministry of reconciliation. Who knows Paul got stoned, dragged outside the city gate, stoned. Disciples gather around him. And you know, when they stone you, they don't stop until you're dead. 
Who knows that? If you're knocked out unconscious, they'll pick up a few big rocks and then they'll go, let's make sure the job's done and let's do it another time and one final time. And you usually tell he's dead because their heads, which are normally this big, are now spread out that far. That's, sorry to be so graphic, all right? He was dead. It doesn't actually say it in Scripture, but they finished the job off. The Jews are very good at it. And what did the disciples, they gathered around him, what they do? They prayed, and he got up. And what did he do? What did Paul do? Who knows? He went straight back in. <laughs> straight back in, I'm going to go and tell them some more. <laughs> Because they stoned me, didn't kill me. You, let's go and tell them some more. <laughs> let's see what they can do to me this time. Because he, he, he went through everything. He spent a night and a day in the open sea. Whose worst nightmare is that? Yeah, that is my worst nightmare. A night and a day in the open sea. <laughs> you know, you're kicking your legs extra hard every time. <laughs> like this, that's what I'll be doing. Yeah, I'd be underwater. I can see you. <laughs> You're not getting me. Yeah, just, it's a terrible, terrible thing. Anyway, Matthew 17, 21. Or 17, 2, 21. Uh, and he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. As though God were making his appeal, we could add in there, to mankind, through us. I always think, God, have you made the right decision using us to make this appeal to mankind? Why don't you send those big angels to do it? You know, that in the book of Revelation, there's some big angels that go and make their, preach the gospel to all mankind. That's effective. That should be effective, shouldn't it? But he's, he's, we are his ambassadors. What's an ambassador, guys? A representative, what do they normally go and do, especially in this day and age? They usually go and... Sorry? The will of the president or of leader of the country and they, they go there to make agreements. You know, a lot of the time they go to make peace, you know, settle disputes, all these sorts of things. Is it a responsible job? If you're called the ambassador of Australia or the ambassador of America, that's a responsible job. We are the ambassadors of the kingdom of God. That is a responsible job. That is a huge responsibility. We've got to go out there and reach out to people as ambassadors and speak on the Lord's behalf using his words. That's why we've got to know the scriptures and they've got to be on the tip of our tongue because we've got to use those words. You know one thing I've noticed when, when I speak to people about Jesus, they go, yeah, yeah, yeah. But the moment I quote a scripture from memory, they always stop and look at me like that. I don't know what it is, but I always wish that I just had heaps more laid up in my memory so I could keep on rattling off scripture until they get the point. There's power in the word of God. Sometimes we think we can use the best descriptions ourselves. But if we quote the scripture when we're trying to speak to people and know the right scriptures to speak to people and use when we're preaching to people, or not, we shouldn't think we're preaching at them. We should discuss it with them and 
reach out to them. Amen? So do these memory verses that Bill's organized because we really need this on our heart. And one day, you never know. I, I know um, Richard Wombrand said that, and also um, Brother Yun, who was in the Chinese prison for many, many years. Have you read that yet, that, The Heavenly Man? Yeah, make sure you read The Heavenly Man. Write it down if you haven't read it, The Heavenly Man by Brother Yun. I've read it two times. Really, really impacted me. And he was big. He, he, he memorized the entire book of Matthew within a few months of getting a Bible, that sort of thing. And he said that wealth of scriptural knowledge su supported him and kept him strong in the faith through years of imprisonment when Bibles were not there so that he could just pick up and open. He would just, and he used to uh, say it, recite them, recite scripture in the cells with his cellmates. Wouldn't it be great to be lying next to someone just reciting the Bible? All right, so learn your scriptures. Get it into your heart. Very important. You never know when. It could be the, the, your, something that's going to keep you strong in the faith. Through so we employ you on Christ's behalf. Be reconciled to God. God has made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Now this is all going to be in the book of Matthew. So open up the book of Matthew. Chapter 4. Here it is. Jesus went throughout Galilee teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom. That's what he went preaching. That is the good news of the kingdom. When you preach it, that is the Gospels, when you preach from the Gospels. And on a, on a, to, uh, as a fringe benefit of preaching the kingdom is he was healing every disease and sickness among uh, the people. Do you know, I've always thought that Jesus never went into a town and did a healing crusade. Who's heard that, that that's what Jesus used to do, go in and hold healing crusades? Have you heard that in church? I've heard it. I used to go to churches, oh, come on Wednesday morning, we're having a healing crusade. Okay, why is that? Oh, well, Jesus used to hold healing crusades. No, Jesus used to preach, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near, and then there would be healings, but it wasn't the motive for his preaching. He didn't come and preach healing. He didn't preach healing. He preached the kingdom of heaven is near and repent because it's near. And I believe if we're, if we're true to that, if we are true to preaching the good news, that healings will be an overflow of that ministry. Amen? As long as we're prayed up. So Matthew 5, 10 to 12. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. There you go. You're blessed if you're persecuted. Blessed are you when people insult you. See this mentality again? It's so in reverse of the world, isn't it? Jesus is telling us we're blessed when people insult you. You're blessed. So if you want to bless me, you know what to do now. When they persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Rejoice and be glad when you get whipped or beaten, if you ever do. Rejoice and be glad. I'm going to really, really work on that. I'm going to try to remember that. If I'm ever racked up and hurt really badly, I'm going to come out skipping. 
And I want you all to see it. And you're how was it? Terrible. Yeah, but I'm rejoicing. You're next. 520. All right, and it says, For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Okay, there's a big challenge. People say, oh, well, that's because Jesus died for you, so your righteousness doesn't have to surpass that of the Pharisees because he died for you. Hmm. That's reading away the words of Jesus. How could our righteousness surpass that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law? No hypocrisy. Beautiful. Practice what you preach. Simple as that. Practice what you preach and we've got an added, uh, what's the word? No, we've got an added uh, ability, I suppose, or something. He's, he's helped us. He's given us a, a way to do this by the power of the Holy Spirit. The Pharisees didn't have the Holy Spirit, so they, they couldn't act out according to the things they said for you to do. They couldn't you know, live without hypocrisy. But, you know, I hate being a hypocrite. Put up your hand if you hate being a hypocrite. Yeah, we all do. Don't you hate it when you go and teach something and then you do the very thing you just taught against? And who's fallen into that? Yeah, only three honest people here. The rest of you are all, <laughs> all hypocrites. <laughs> Sorry, I'm only joking. <laughs> I saw a few late hands go up real quick. <laughs> um, now, 5.20. I won't say any more. I'm getting in more trouble. Just keep moving. <laughs> Thanks, Vina. Just urge me on. And I'm trying to finish quickly. Uh, Matthew 6.33. And here we go. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Seek first his kingdom. Who wakes up in the morning with that, that scripture on their mind? Seek first his kingdom. First. Does that mean never think about it at all? <laughs> You know, I just read that and I go, wow, I don't think of that every morning. What that really means is get on your knees and seek God in the morning. Uh, Matthew 4.17, Matthew 4.17, and it says, From that time on Jesus began to preach, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. So we know what we've got to preach. And last one, 11.12, 11.12, and it says, from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has been forcefully advancing and forceful men lay hold of it. So what have we got to be in our faith? We've got to be forceful. We've got to be strong. We've got to seek God diligently, powerfully, boldly. We've got to pray bold prayers. Not in the sense that you yell at God or anything. That's not boldness. Boldness is just praying with the surety that he hears you and you're praying according to the word of God. You've got to live this Christian life in a sense. You've got to be violent to the sin nature. You've got to cut it off. You've got to be, you know, hardcore with that part of your nature. And who knows? It? You, you can cut it off and cut it off and then like a, you, you know, is there ever... You ever cut down a tree and you cut it down to the ground and then it sprouts back and then you go and cut all those things and it sprouts back again? You know those sort of trees with these really strong root systems? 
the sin nature has a very strong root system. You can cut it right off at the base. And you come back a month later and there's all these sprouts coming up again. We've got to keep on cutting it off. Keep on cutting it off. Actually, go and get one of those root stump removers. <laughs> Grind the whole thing out. Get rid of it all together. And I'm sure John and Paul and that got to that point where they could say the stump was removed. You know, get rid of the sin stump in your life. All right, and the last scripture I said, <laughs> this is it. I just want to finish it so I know I'm up to this screen. Matthew 13, 24. We're all there. Jesus told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field, but while everyone was sleeping, his enemy came and sow, sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. When the wheat sprouted and formed heads, then the weeds also appeared. The owner's servants came to him and said, Sir, didn't you sow good seed in your field? Where then did the weeds come from? An enemy did, uh, an enemy did, did this, he replied. The servants asked him, Do you want us to go and pull them up? No, he answered, because while you are pulling up the weeds, you may root up the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. At that time, I will tell the harvesters, first collect the weeds and tie them into bundles to be burned and then gather the wheat and bring it into my, bar into my barn. Now, drop down to 36. It says, Then he left the crowd and went into the house. His disciples came to him and said, Explain to us the parable of the weeds in the field. He answered, The one who sowed the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world. And the good seed stands for the sons of the kingdom. The weeds are the sons of the evil one, and the enemy who sows them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the harvesters are angels. As the weeds are pulled up and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send out his angels, and they will weed out his kingdom, everything that causes sin, and all who do evil. They'll throw them into the fiery furnace where there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the, heaven, in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears, let him hear. So that's telling us this is what we're, we're in now. We're living this parable. We're in the world right now. We're living and the weeds are all around us. Just make sure that you're growing in the kingdom, that you're not a weed, if you know what I mean. Make sure that you're a healthy, fruitful vine or a fruitful shaft of wheat. Amen? And that's where we come back to the early scriptures, that we must be a new creation. You know what a new creation is? It's the miracle of God. A weed turns into wheat. And we've got to be changed. If anyone is challenged by this, just pray about it because this is what it's all about. This is why you go to church. You go to church to get challenged. You don't go to church to, well, you shouldn't go to church just to get told how good you are and how prosperous you can be if you give, in, give money into the kingdom. That's not what church is for. It's never been that way. It's, it, it was always to get the people changed and transformed and living a righteous and holy life in Christ so that we can overcome and get into the kingdom of heaven and not lose our place in the kingdom of heaven. That's what church is for. It's to keep us in it, to keep us strong, to keep us growing. Amen. I hope this has challenged you today. Has it? That's good. All right, let's pray. Thank you, Jesus.
Lord, thank you for this message today. And I just uh, thank you that your Holy Spirit spoke, spoke through me in relation to so many matters today. And I, I pray that everyone here will uh, have been impacted positively that they will go home and, and be, have so many things to chew over and so many things to, be, uh, uh, to grow from, so many things that would nourish them from today's message. And just like a, a muscle that's been broken down, uh, it, as, as it recovers, it grows stronger, Lord. Let that be the case today, that the, this church, these people here will grow stronger as a result of this message. So thank you for this wonderful honor and privilege to be able to preach to these wonderful people. And I just pray your uh, blessings upon them and that you will just take them from strength to strength in this life and give them a resilience to stand strong in times of great trouble and hardship and tribulation and uh, that they'll be able to go through and uh, by, with you at their side, strengthening them all the way. And I pray this in your wonderful name. Lord, just pour out your spirit upon this fellowship time now. May you be here in a powerful and wonderful manner, uh, moving in our, all of our conversations. And may it be a blessing to be among each other right now and just bless everyone in their week. May they have beautiful weeks in you uh, and help them to achieve all the things that they are uh, striving for in their personal lives as well, Lord. Uh, so we pray your blessings over them in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thanks, guys. Please.